Hello, horror fiends. Horror host Trav here with a special announcement. August is going to be a special month here on Horrifying My Friends because in August we are getting into the body horror genius of Mr. David Cronenberg. So a special themed month here at Horrifying My Friends. A body horror themed month. Okay, so first up for you fiends, we have Nightbreed. Not technically directed by Cronenberg, but it stars Cronenberg as a fucked up slasher. A Nightbreed, a story about monsters in a magical place called Midian. Then we have The Dead Zone, a Stephen King adaptation of a man who awakens from a coma to discover he has a psychic ability. Then we have Videodrome. A heartwarming tale about a programmer at a TV station that specializes in adult entertainment who searches for producers of a dangerous and bizarre broadcast. (laughs) Then we have The Brood, a story for the entire family where a man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife amidst a series of brutal murders. Oh, and they are brutal. Then we have Crash, not the shitty Crash, the (laughs) David Cronenberg Crash, a coming-of-age tale about a man who discovers an underground subculture of scarred, omnisexual car crash victims who use car accidents and the raw sexual energy they produce to try to rejuvenate his sex life with his wife. (laughs) Then we end the month, the Cronenberg month, with Dead Ringers. Twin gynecologists take full advantage of the fact that nobody can tell them apart until their relationship begins to deteriorate. Dun dun dun. <laughs> the body horror month is coming in August for horrifying my friends. No one will be spared. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends. I'm horror host Trav. Joining me as always is producer Kate. Hey. And making his return to the podcast, Jack Jack. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Very excited for this one. How have you been, Milad? <laughs> <laughs> I've been pretty good, you know, just still working at my store, watching mm. movies in my free time. It's been too long. I miss you, buddy. Uh, but what have you been watching? I know you're always into like the new shit and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You so, came in fresh with prestige tattoos. And yeah. You're always into the trippy shit. So I actually got two, I think, really good recommendations for you that one of my, my friend Jack that I told you about just uh-huh. now put me on to. Um, it's a couple of TV shows called Invincible and The Boys. Fuck, you know what? Am I going to watch them though? <laughs> I can't watch the TV. But yeah, that's, that's um, if anyone out there has heard of them, they're... Um, 
They're both on Amazon Prime. They're both superhero TV mm-hmm. shows. They're rated R, so it makes them better, in my opinion. Um, I heard Invincible was incredible. Really good. It's animated. The main character is J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of actors in that, actually, that um, I really like. But it's really, really good. Um, they got a couple more seasons coming out. Same with The Boys. It has um, Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. in it he's mm-hmm. the main character i think yeah and the boys is kind of like a fucked up take on the justice league right it's yeah. like superman's like a dick rapist like and they all scumbag. like signed to like this corporate company and like it's basically like a reality tv show is what the whole premise of it is for like the superheroes but then the superheroes behind the scenes are like psychopaths yeah it's like it's kind of like um and i read a little bit of the comic but it's kind of like it's not like what if superman was evil but it's like mm-hmm. what if superman was like a rapey douchebag <laughs> and he has all that power and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of one of, I, I've heard a lot of people say like that it's awesome. It is um, awesome. What about movies? Have you watched anything new recently? I know theaters are starting to open back up. Yeah, sure. I've seen nothing really that's gripped me. I've been rewatching a lot of stuff that I really like. Um, but I, yeah, I couldn't say that I've seen any new movies recently. That's really been like standing out to me. Mm-hmm. How, how, how you? Uh, you said how many times have you seen Prestige since you last saw <laughs> This is my last episode here. I've seen Prestige probably upwards of eight times. <laughs> Have you seen Promising Young Woman yet? Uh-uh. Oh, it's good. You should that's watch like, it. That's, that's a killer movie. It's a newer one, yeah. So, I think you can watch it on HBO, I want to say. Okay. So, Producer Kate, I've heard you, you've been paranoid lately. Do you want to uh, talk about that? <laughs> um, do you want me to tell the whole story? Okay, so I was, I've been listening to a lot of true crime, a lot of crime junkie mm-hmm. podcasts. And recently I was home alone setting up my daughter's new bedroom. I was like, you know, had my AirPods in and I was listening to, again, like this, these brutal murders <laughs> being described to me of people, these home invasions and like yeah. kids, you know, kids being kidnapped from their beds and stuff, really freaking myself out. And then my, one of my dogs, my dog's name's Wheezy and she had like wandered off. And I can't trust her. She's a pisser. So I was like calling for her. I was like, Wheezy, where are you? Wheezy, where are you? And over my AirPods, they stop and they go, I'm right here. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm looking around like my heart stopped. And then I was like, oh, maybe Siri thought I was saying Siri when I was saying Wheezy. And so then I asked Siri and it turned out it was Siri. Um, <laughs> so that freaked me out. It got me paranoid. And then um, recently, your niece, yeah. uh, Kiki who I'm sure will be on the show at some point, but she didn't have my number, but my sister, your wife had Mm -hmm. given her my number and I didn't know. And I was like, again, home alone with my daughter, like sleeping in in her bedroom. (laughs) And I was like about to get in the shower and like this random number I've never seen tries to call me (laughs) and then tries to FaceTime me. Like, Mm. and that freaked me out. I was like home alone. So I get real paranoid and I'm like, Brian, come home when you're when you're done doing the podcast because he's doing he was doing guillotine press with you guys. Uh-huh. Rose and Carly come over and we're just chatting. They were just like kind of keeping me company because I'm freaked out. And Gonzo's lo- like outside the window. And so I just <laughs> I get it in my head. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna text this number and like see who it is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, who is this? And I got I get these cagey weird answers that are Ooh. freaking me out more. <laughs> and finally, I was like, you know what? 
this sounds like something like Kiki would do to like fuck with me. Oh, fuck. Because she's a teenager. Like she yeah. thinks it's hilarious. So I, hilarious. <laughs> I have I have Rose. To, I was like, what's her number? Mm-hmm. Tell me her number. And it's her number. And so then I text her back and, you know, that's what it was. Well, and she just was cackling. She thought it was she thought it was hilarious. You know? Well, and what was funny is I, I was telling her about like how we used to prank call people. Me and my buddy Logan. And we used to prank call like the same number over and over again. And it was the same woman, and we'd like have her like in tears like, all the time. <laughs> and we realize how fucked up that is, like now. But she'd just be like, "Why are you calling me again?" <laughs> uh, yeah, like na- young these younger generations. Like, what? How do? You, how do you guys? Prank, how do they even the teens prank call anyone anymore? Everyone just like doesn't answer the phone if it. They, I don't even. They don't recognize have the to number. Decline the call. The, if it, my phone doesn't recognize the number, it goes straight to voicemail. Yeah, like what do yeah. people do? Do they just like pick random numbers and text creepy shit? Probably. Yeah. That'd be killer too, though. To be honest. <laughs> well, all right, you, so Jack. You could still do that. Hit me. Uh, moving on from the prank calling and all that other fun stuff that we did <laughs> in the past. Uh, you said that you saw Hereditary recently. Yeah. And that like kind of got me thinking. Uh, originally, we had chosen Halloween to do with you, but I was right. like, I want to hit him with another visionary and stuff. But you yeah. loved Hereditary, didn't you? I'm pretty sure you gave me a copy of yours uh-huh. after we did the last podcast, and mm-hmm. I watched it that night. And mm-hmm. dude, it was a. I loved that movie. That movie's fucked up, man. It's really fucked up, and I think that's kind of like my style of stuff mm-hmm. is just like really twisted and dark and um, everybody unpredictable. Yeah. These dudes are all <laughs> mental, bud. Um, okay, so there's a movement. Like, oh, go ahead. go ahead. That's kind of like my lane as far as horror movies go. Yeah. Um, I don't really like jump scare type things or like paranormal type things. I mean, that one's obviously a little more like religious, mm-hmm. sinister type stuff, but mm-hmm. that's right up my alley. Yeah, this one was too. And you're dead on because it's like it's not the jump scare stuff. It's like the surrealistic imagery and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like bizarre shit. Going yeah, on. I, like think... I never thought I would see a child's head covered in flies in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the idea of like madness so and what ma- what madness can can look like and be and be uh-huh. portrayed as, I think, is a really it's a favorite of mine too. I remember uh, don't going to see hereditary in theaters. I was like one of the only ones in there, and I was like really really stoned, and I was eating popcorn. <laughs> and that when they showed the child's head in the street, like and I, I like busted out laughing, like I was laughing. <laughs> And I'm not just saying that to like try to sound brutal, but I was like, holy fuck, he went there. <laughs> I was not expecting it. Cause You're it's like, like giddy because they actually yeah, did it and showed it. There. Yeah. You love when kids die in movies. You're messed up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so like this movement going on in horror with visionaries, like you were talking about Hereditary, so that was like, fuck, I got to hit him with another visionary. Like Ari Aster, um, who made Hereditary in Midsummer, and like Mr. Robert Eggers, who we're doing The Lighthouse today. Um, I dig Jordan Peele, but I think that just focusing on these two guys for a minute, it's not elevated horror as you hear in the papers. That's fucking uh, dipshit term. Mm-hmm. But it's horror more in line with the origins of the genre. You know, the classical sense with an em- emphasis on character, cinematography, and the power of filmmaking. Uh, that horror hasn't seen since the grades. You know, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Cronenberg, uh, Toby Hooper. Influenced by what came before, but undoubtedly giving us something new besides nostalgia. A lot of like classic authors uh, this movie brought up, and like 
movies like Hereditary, like Edgar Allan Poe and shit mm-hmm. like that. Like mm-hmm. going back to that classical ship. But yeah, this is The Lighthouse from 2019, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson as Thomas and William Defoe as Thomas. And that's all I have written down <laughs> in the synopsis. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Uh, this received a nominee for Best Achievement in Cinematography, and many feel that the lead two actors were robbed for not getting nominated. Why do you think that? Where do you think that disrespect comes from when it comes to horror? Because a lot of people said that about Hereditary too, with Tony Collette. Is it's like, man, they like she should have so been nominated. But why do you think they like look so down on horror? Um, I think it's really hard to do something special with horror, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have a movie like this and you have a movie like Hereditary and it kind of like has that twist element and you're not really sure what's going on and like there's a lot of interpretation that's going on mm-hmm. um, and it's not so just like cut and dry like people running around screaming and getting murdered. Yeah, it's kind of like these guys uh, went out to make a good film and right. it ended up being a horror film. What do you right. think mm-hmm. about that though, Katie? I think a lot of people who make these kinds of decisions about nominations and who gets awards in Hollywood, they're just like... It's political. They're just like sensitive little flowers. Like whenever there's a movie that is like... Snowflakes. Well, it's just when it's like shocking and like triggers a feeling of disgust in you, like a lot lot of good horror does, like this one does, like there's many disgusting moments in this like they just i feel like they almost write it off despite the fact that like the acting in this was like pretty superb like and when i think about the people who get these awards typically they are usually like characters with a lot of depth often madness like when Mm -hmm. people play crazy um or like mentally disabled like you name it like they're winning awards like there's no reason that they shouldn't have been considered in the same caliber as these other actors that are just playing sometimes you know simple like not visually shocking stories but they're playing the same kind of character like a character going through grief or going through guilt or doubt or whatever um now when you say disgusting scenes in this film you do mean hot right okay (laughs) so moving on this was partly based on a true story about two lighthouse workers in wales in 1801 Apparently, two guys really named Thomas were responsible for watching over an isolated lighthouse on the Smalls. This is the actual lighthouse. Could you fucking imagine being on that motherfucker? <laughs> yeah, he's showing us Just a picture. It's like literally feet of rock. a little lighthouse and like barely any land. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing within 20 miles of this motherfucker. Like, could you imagine that? So it's off the coast of Wales, like I said, um, on the Smalls, which is a tiny cluster of rocks off the Pembrokeshire coast sorry if i butchered Pembrokeshire. that yeah katie went to harvard so that's why <laughs> so the story goes words good <laughs> the story goes that one guy became ill i went to ben davis and hit myself in the head over and over again one guy became <laughs> became ill and died and the other guy became paranoid that people would think he was responsible for the death because i i guess they weren't getting along much like in this film um, so he made a coffin using materials around him i presume and hung it on the exterior shelf it said in the article that I was reading. Uh, keep in mind, the space they were in were like, was like five meters. Yeah, so for three say. weeks, he was like living with a dead body. It's also partly based. We brought up Edgar Allan Poe earlier on the last Edgar Allan Poe story titled The Lighthouse, uh, which was finished by Robert Block. So this is kind of like where their early idea came from. Uh, mostly just the title came from it, but 
I guess um, uh, Eggers and Eggers' brother like liked the idea of like to like madness in a lighthouse and stuff to create the look of the film. Did you guys notice like the peculiar like look and the uh, frame? Yeah, so it wasn't widescreen like we're used to seeing, right. black mm-hmm. and white. Uh, to create the look of the film, cinematographer Jarwin Blanche uh, created, uh, used Panavision lenses from as early as 1912 and some from the 1930s as well. The film has an aspect ratio of 1-19-1, an almost square, square frame, and it's narrower than full screen. So that used uh, that was used in the early sound years by filmmakers, including Fritz Lang, who directed M, and you know a bunch of other classic black and white pictures, and um, a a guy named George Wilhelm Paps. For so for the lighthouse, they specifically chose this aspect ratio because the spaces in the movie are meant to feel confined and more claustrophobic. So just thinking more vertical with these two characters. Um, so I have a few more here. Uh, the cast and crew were filmed under extreme weather conditions. Uh, Eggers went on to say that it was like a learning experience for everyone involved. Like I know they were detailing how Robert Pattinson had to like go out into the cold ass fucking stormy sea like 25 times for some of his like wheelbarrow scenes mm-hmm. and shit. So this is kind of like what we were talking about like accents early on. Uh, Robert Pattinson's accent is based on a very specific area of Maine um, farming dialect, while William Defoe's is the the jargon of Atlantic fishermen and sailors of the time. And I got into this a little bit before. Um, Director-writer Robert Eggers is like a freak about historical accuracy, and he's like a freak about like, you know, uh, history in itself. Like in The Witch, he created like, like the costumes and everything are all like of the time. Yeah, like if you watch that, and I'm gonna send that home with you too. By the way, cool. Um, the word this is just like a little fun one. The word "wiki" used by uh, Wake was a term which was slang for lighthouse keeper of the time. So, Jack, <laughs> I want to get your early on your first take of the lighthouse. I really enjoyed the movie. I'm a little confused by it, <laughs> um, but I think that is a good thing. Uh-huh. It gives me something to go back to, something to think about. I was captivated the entire movie. I really like what he did. I think um, we'll probably get into this a little bit more later, but I think he had some like Greek comparisons with the two characters um, and their actions and whatnot. And I'm like a huge Greek junkie. Like I Ooh. used to like love Greek mythology when I was younger. Fuck. Um, mm. So that was cool for me. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I was nervous at first because i was like interesting choice to do it in black and white i feel like that's gonna be really hard to pull off uh-huh. and i do it in like this decade and make it feel like that but i think he overall did a really good job executing it he was nervous at first jack's just like is travis telling me that he wants me to get me isolated and fuck me like by making me watch this movie <laughs> oh my god yeah the homoerotic <laughs> stuff in here is wild but big theme though right theme. Yeah, yeah lots of themes um which i think is a good segue into my initial reaction to oh, yeah. I had never seen it and didn't look anything up. So I was as yeah, clueless yeah. as you were when I turned this I thing on. I didn't know on. if I was watching the right movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I love a, I love a movie that's got lots of, lots of different, you know, heavy themes to kind of unpack. And there's a lot to unpack in this. And I was telling Travis downstairs before we came up, it's one of those movies that, you can sit and try to sort of work out an explanation with yourself of like the meaning and think up a million different explanations for how this, what actually happened, but none of them are going to be 
perfectly lined up by the end of your kind of crazy note taking which is what like my phone it just looks insane me trying to kind of make sense of it and be like well I think it's this well it could be that it could be this it could be that um so that's to me I think always makes for a good film so yeah so let's talk about some of these like some of the acting in this movie before we get into the themes this is going to be like a theme heavy podcast Mm because it's like what the fuck's going on in this movie right but (laughs) let's talk about these two guys like right off the bat Jack, I want to ask you about these two actors. Like, what do you think about these two characters? And um, how long do you think me and Gonzo would last in the lighthouse by ourselves? <laughs> okay. You and Gonzo, I feel like, would do, make it a lot farther than y- these two guys have. Okay, interesting. Um, partially because I don't think either of you hopefully have murdered someone in their past and taken their identity you and are slowly going crazy because of it. Yeah, you don't, you don't know that. <laughs> I feel you like I'd name, kill Gonzo within hours. Is this like, really is do. this your dynamic? You well, guys berate each was... other and Yeah, I mean who's when Jack who's so... the top guy and who's the bottom guy? That's it. yeah, that's interesting. Um so when Jack <laughs> left, Jack used to be like my uh superior. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an interesting dynamic there because you know I'm obviously I'm a little bit older than Jack. Jack was very go with the flow, and I'm pretty sure Gonzo like loves Jack. Like literally loves Jack. So when Jack left, no, like he loves Jack. He was like, (laughs) he was like one of our buddies. uh, I won't say her name, but he was just like, man, she missed out by not getting with Jack. (laughs) And I texted Jack and told him about it. And he was just like, dude, that dude is so weird. Um, But so when Jack leaves and I'm setting it up like this dynamic that we had as three guys. Right. And everything was going well. But when Jack left, Gonzo and I all of a sudden like looked at each other like shifty eyed (laughs) And like bitched at each other constantly. We're ready to fucking strangle you each other. You and Gonzo did? Yes. And we're like that now because we don't have like a current FFL right now. Yeah. So it's kind of like Gonzo and I, like when there's not another guy to bounce shit off of or a guy that Gonzo and I can attack, it's like we look <laughs> at each other to attack each other. Like we're two vipers or something. It's like those scenes where they're drinking, like you guys are at each other's throats yeah, and you're like yeah. dancing with each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Almost making out and then fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like climbing up the fucking like little uh, shoot to go to the roof at Dick's and Gonzo's trying to pull me off of it and shit. <laughs> but yeah, Jack was sort of like the peacekeeper, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, what do you think about the characters though in this movie? So Willem Dafoe is one of my favorites. Mm. Um, he's in so much, like everything that I've seen him in, every scene that I've ever seen him in, he elevates it. Oh yeah. Um, so he, I just love him for that. And I really like Robert Pattinson too. I haven't seen as much stuff with him in it as I have with Willem Dafoe. But I really like stuff that I have seen him in. Yeah. Um, I was, think. Was he very, like, much in Tenet, uh, Robert Pattinson? Or was he just n- kind of like a. Not really. Player? I yeah. didn't care for that movie too much, too unfortunately. Fun, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he wasn't really like. I didn't really like his character that much either, mm-hmm. to be honest, with Tenet. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that Robert Pattinson really fit the look for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, so did Willem Dafoe. I wasn't quite sure if it was him at first when I first started watching it. Um, mm-hmm. I think okay. they really nailed the acting for it, too. Like, the long, oh, yeah. like, speeches that Dafoe would give. Um, like, that was just... He delivered it really well, and it must have taken so much practice and um, memorization and whatnot. But I thought that the acting was super impressive for it. Especially, mm-hmm. like, the scenes where um, Pattinson was, like, going around and was just, like 
him doing like his different jobs at on the island they made it seem like really sinister somehow like with just the uh foghorn they kept playing but yeah i think they both killed it and i didn't know if they had been nominated for anything and i kind of agree with the people that are upset for them not being nominated for it imagine the yeah imagine the preparation for this film as an actor it's so brutal and i could see an actor losing themselves in a character in these kinds of characters you know Mm -hmm. yeah and like they were saying um like robert pattinson i think said like a lot of people don't realize like they built the lighthouse and stuff like out in this like remote kind of location and stuff but they're really filming in like storms and shit like that so Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of shit's going wrong multiple takes everybody's wet all the time um but you were talking about like getting into the character and stuff like um they were talking about like the weird ways that both of them got into the characters like robert pattinson one of his moves is like to stick his fingers down his throat and to like gag himself and then like twirl around multiple times and like punch himself in the face he's very like and i was like fuck man i was like really impressed by robert pattinson in this movie and i think it's like one of the first and i was never one of those guys that's like oh the fucking twilight dude or whatever Mm -hmm. because i haven't seen a lot of his other stuff but like in this like you said he really fucking the physicality and like some of those parts where he was like screaming and shit i love like, those scenes yeah. yeah like they're both of their faces just they could contort them in to expressions i don't think i've ever seen on any human um and i think that's impressive to to put yourself and to make yourself like feel mad like that like mm-hmm. and feel like physically sick and disoriented I mean, mm-hmm. it takes a special person. You wouldn't find me doing that for my job. It needs to be applauded and talked about so that mm. other people do it. Oh, yeah. And I know, like, between takes and stuff, like, one of the things that they said were, was um, the two actors rarely got a chance to, like, talk to each other because they were, like, so fucking, like, tired and, like, exhausted and all this other shit. Like, you know, trying to get prepare themselves mentally for their parts and stuff. So they rarely got a chance to talk. And it's impressive, like, the drinking scenes and that the 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 camaraderie that those two like show mm-hmm. together but yeah man the characters in this are fucking awesome kate do you want to get into the themes sure this early there's a lot to talk because there is a lot to talk about well i think let's run through like i'll give a kind of synopsis of what i understand you know from, of what you see like mm-hmm. i won't kind of delve right now into like my opinion on what i think's going on i'm just gonna like this is what happens mm-hmm. like if you take it at his face value so the junior lighthouse guy he's never done it before he's being brought in with willem dafoe who has been at this lighthouse for a long time like he's the senior guy calling the shots he is his boss essentially um so willem dafoe's character is thomas and you, you know he's thomas out the gate and then i don't know if you do i don't think that you learn his name for about 40 minutes into the yeah movie. but he never has a different name right mm-hmm. right um so Rob Pattinson's character initially um he gets called lad a lot he gets mm-hmm. called uh, he t- he says his name is Ephraim, Ephraim Winslow. Winslow and then it's like oh just kidding I'm Thomas whatever his Howard I think is what mm-hmm. his last name was um so it's kind of a little bit of a bait and switch for you as the viewer to mm-hmm. to find that out but also to and that's what puts you into thinking like are they the same person they have the same name that's weird whatever but um so anyway they show up at the lighthouse they're supposed to be there for four weeks i'll just call him winslow for now <laughs> winslow is like a stickler for the rules he's trying to keep his head down not get himself in trouble not draw any attention um there's like you said a very sinister kind of 
aura they create around him like visually oh, yeah. with the with the music and the the sound effects everything um and he's doing all the backbreaking work like truly backbreaking work like i couldn't imagine doing all that by himself too yeah like and he does like all this stuff like he cycles <laughs> through it every day just by himself and yeah. it's horrible labor he's yeah like dragging shit up rocks and and, yeah. and so <laughs> willem defoe's character thomas is like this slovenly like drunk guy he's like pissing and farting and yeah. like just jerking off everywhere and he's just like doesn't do anything but take notes all day and then mm-hmm. he cooks dinner and mm-hmm. he berates um winslow and his responsibility is the light yeah mm-hmm. and he like he just stays up on the night shift like staring at the light and jerking off i guess um but anyway he won't yeah he will not let winslow <laughs> yeah. up in to see that light he's always locking the door keeping the key on him like he's got this weird possessiveness over it, which we can get to that that's another thing mm-hmm. um but yeah so basically the, you just you see them just more and more as these four weeks go on just like hate each <laughs> hate each other um mostly you know rob pattinson's character hating the guy who's constantly berating him um and like tearing him down and making him do all this backbreaking stuff not letting him do a goddamn thing and he's eating bad food on top of it and then they find out this storm because you know you're kind of led to believe rob pattinson kills this seagull and then it's bad luck because he killed a sailor's soul or whatever um, and this big storm rolls in that keeps them on the island for several more weeks. It's you kind of lose sense of time once things yeah. start to go mad and crazy, uh, which makes sense. Um, and they're on this island. They're like running out of rations. They start drinking heavily and they're going, one of them's going crazy or maybe there's just one dude. We don't know. But uh, there's this dangerous kind of shift um, that happens and one ends up killing the other and or who he, knows or who, or who <laughs> knows yeah Maybe so like, none of it happened that is yeah. essentially kind of and there's definitely some like weird kind of visions or weird shit happening with like octopus like an octopus you know tentacles and you see mermaids and mermaid pussy and all kinds of weird stuff like start happening um so you don't again you don't really know Unless the director's come out, and I didn't do any research, so, like, unless the director has come out and said, like, this is definitively kind of what I was going for with the mm-hmm. story, um, I, I can't tell you, but I have a lot of theories. <laughs> and I think, like, so as far as, like, the mermaid and stuff, yeah, it's, like, it's up to question whether that's that was real or not, but it's, like, the idea of the siren, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think Robert Eggers is... Um, like he said before in interviews, like, and if you haven't like listened to a podcast or read an interview with Robert Eggers, he's a very, very interesting person. Like he talks about black and white horror and Nosferatu, you know, being one of these movies that he wants to remake maybe one day in black and white. But, um, yeah, the idea of the siren, like that old sea legend of like them calling these sailors out to sea, like comes from the, from the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, they would always like, offer them sex or you know stuff like that and then drown them and stuff Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of those scenes were fucking amazing like Like, that that dream scene where he like sees the body floating in the water and it's like super trippy i don't even know what they're supposed to be maybe i think actually maybe the logs logs. yeah and they kind of like come away and then he just is like possessively walking just like through the water until he's literally like walking under the water and then sees the mermaid i thought that was a super cool scene yeah And that's the thing I left out of the kind of synopsis, kind of a big thing, a huge, you know, plot device. Like you kind of have to know this. Um, So Thomas to young Thomas um, Winslow, whatever you want to call him, 
he you, he reveals at a certain point that at his previous job where he was logging up in Maine or Canada or wherever, um, he had a boss who was just like this guy, constantly berating him, telling him he's worthless, he's a piece of shit, he's an idiot, whatever, whatever. Imagine taking that kind of abuse every single day from a person mm-hmm. um, and being kind of in a time where there's a lot of like machismo and toxic masculinity i will talk about it like he just couldn't take it anymore Mm -hmm. and he killed the guy he tries to rationalize it to himself to be like oh well he he fell in and i didn't save him but before that he was talking about how he was thinking about About grabbing the can't hook and killing him anyway yeah so we don't know like what's actually true did he kill him and he's just kind of rationalized like trying to make himself out to be a look a little shinier when he's telling thomas this but like it doesn't matter because thomas is a fucking creepy crook anyway he's he's done some shady shit and he's a gaslighter and all these things like there's you know there's question about whether or not he killed the last guy second that he had at the lighthouse and then told everyone he went mad just like what happens with winslow but yeah that's a huge thing is they both are have these secrets oh yeah that they're keeping from each other and it's eating them up and they're lying and then their lies are being, you know, uncovered because they're getting drunk and getting loose. And, um, yeah, it's Which just... that's like one of the themes is like, and it's kind of like an old Twilight Zone. Like this movie reminds me of like one of the old Twilight Zone episodes. Cause it's like two men in a very close pace talking and, um, eventually like lies start to come out. Like they start to catch on to like their true selves start to come out. Mm-hmm. But so Jack, I want to get some of your themes like you 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 mentioned earlier that you're a big like greek gods and stuff like that so i want yeah. you to talk about that a little so bit. i did a little bit of um research on it after i watched it mm-hmm. and a lot of people were saying that defoe's character was supposed to represent porteus i think proteus proteus yeah. um and he talks like when he does that long speech when pattinson's like on the ground like in the corner he like asks neptune or poseidon to like mm-hmm. strike him down and like goes on for like m- a couple minutes yeah. of just like blabbering crazy shit that just like he, it, not even that it was anything like groundbreaking like this is supposed to be this character mm-hmm. um the old man in the scene it's just yeah, yeah it's just like something that makes me happy because it has to do with greek mythology and so i think it ties in a lot of other things with it too because he um, like has that scene where he's getting beat up and he keeps shifting characters, which is supposed to yeah. be like a power that that God is supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like that, and I really like how he's supposed to be Prometheus, how Pattinson's supposed to be Prometheus, and he mm-hmm. goes and steals the light, but gets killed for it and dies in the same way. Yeah. There's a very little scene mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, because yeah. Prometheus took the fire, right? Yeah, he took the fire from Mount Olympus, gave it to the humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, if Defoe was a god and he represents the human, then he's climbing Mount Olympus, mm-hmm. um, the forbidden place, after killing the god and <laughs> yeah, that's stealing what it. I love about gets, this movie, though. It's like, yeah. there's so much shit going on. It's like, and he, he puts little hints to like each of these themes. Mm-hmm. But it's like another, like with, alongside the Greek. Uh, you used like the um, the Mount Olympus thing, and it's like the mm-hmm. idea of 
the lighthouse being like this character and this sense of like the the evil there or whatever or like you said this uh, um it symbolizing mount olympus but uh what were you gonna say kate I just was looking up other themes that I have in my notes, which are a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I clocked the Prometheus. I didn't know much about Proteus. And uh-huh. I, um, so that's news to me right now. Yeah, he's supposed um, <laughs> to be um, Poseidon's son. Okay, uh-huh. I see. Yeah, I know a little bit about Greek mythology, but not like I was never a super fan. But I knew the Prometheus story. And like everyone knows that imagery of the man having his guts eaten while he's like there perpetually alive, feeling mm-hmm. that pain for the eternity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and that's depicted literally in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's foreshadowed in the threats um, <laughs> that Willem Dafoe's character was making um, after I brought... It was just kind of funny to me. Um, I guess he wouldn't tell him that his cooking was good. Yeah, so... <laughs> that at least yeah, the so, lobster yeah. was good. Like, if yeah. you just said the lobster. So this is... Yeah, so this is one of my favorite scenes. And this is a good segue into another theme, which is, like, toxic masculinity. And um, so there's homoeroticism in, throughout this whole film. But... So this is the scene where Robert Pattinson kind of flips and he's like, I want a steak. Mm-hmm. Like he said, I want a steak. I would fuck it, which is a very like man thing. To say. <laughs> if he wants a steak, he would fuck it. Uh, and then he's just kind of goes off on how Thomas's cooking is bad. Um, and you see these kind of gender roles start to come out in these two men for most of the movie up to this point you see thomas in this very hyper masculine hyper uh toxic alpha kind of uh depiction Mm -hmm. and then he's also like berating this guy for not cleaning the floors right which is a thing if you start to kind of connect this to how like men treated women you know Mm -hmm. back then still today um like so he's getting like robert pattinson's doing kind of more female things where he's, you know, cleaning the house, whatever. But then Willem Dafoe's character is also doing things like cooking dinner every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're seeing this like kind of power shift happening like constantly, like back and forth where like Willem Dafoe's also kind of this kept guy because he has the strong man doing everything for him. So he's kind of like the more feminine in that role and he cooks the dinner. And so in this scene, he insults the cooking and Willem Dafoe's character goes off like in the most dramatic fashion like you could imagine. He just starts saying like, I, and this is where he foreshadows like that he's going to, get his guts eaten the by, by seagulls and stuff. Yeah. So he starts cursing him all because he just like said he didn't like his cooking. And then you see it a lot. So there's them, of course, in the scene that J- uh, Jack brought up earlier where they're getting drunk, I think probably for the first time mm-hmm. um, where Robert Pattinson finally lets his hair down. And it's like, okay, it's like we're getting relief tomorrow. Let's get drunk. Well, some, oh, I, what I was reading is that a lot of people think that, Defoe intentionally got Pattinson like too drunk so that mm-hmm. they wouldn't make up and make the relief boat in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, if there's this, these bigger themes, which we haven't even touched yet of like self sabotage, self hatred, guilt, whatever, mm-hmm. we'll get into that. But this one, like the, the way he plays with dy- like gender roles and kind of these um, gender dynamics i think are pretty interesting and homoeroticism of course just as like naturally goes along with that when you have two dudes in a confined place oh yeah um without human touch or um human kindness being shown to anyone like because god forbid they be kind to each other Uh, to go along with your point about the masculinity and stuff there's that scene like towards the end when he actually like 
when you finally like there's as it goes along he finally gradually figures out that William Defoe is like a, a shit teller like he he yeah. tells a lot of stories but a lot mm-hmm. of them aren't true because he catches him like with his broken leg story yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then so he beats him up and then he says he like makes him walk like a dog yeah, yeah so I was getting into that so there's some other examples of like this toxic masculinity it's not just me getting on my feminist soapbox yet again on the podcast which I do a lot but anyway <laughs> it's like when Thomas is like getting upset because the young guy is not cleaning the floors right mm-hmm. it's the cooking like he threatens he's like you're gonna suck the rust from the nails that's mm-hmm. what I'm like um <laughs> that was another scene too where he just went on and on yeah. and on and Tom- I thought he was Thomas- gonna have him suck his cock like um and, and this isn't like me fucking around like yeah. when um when Robert Pattinson's character is like begging him to see the light, mm-hmm. I thought he was gonna blow him. I yeah. so I got the honestly yeah. again. Yeah, you see that. Um, you see Thomas, like you said, when the when the lies start to become exposed, you see him start to gaslight Winslow, like mm-hmm. gaslighting him like majorly. Like he he would literally he ch- chased him with an axe, chopped up a boat, and then came in and was like how could you have done that you're the you're the one who did that like so he's literally doing what a lot of well, men maybe do he did. a lot of men do to other men they do it to women where they make you feel like you're the crazy one yeah you know and i do that it, to rose like all the time and you do it and, and like he's <laughs> done it so much and for so long that it's making him actually act crazy right mm-hmm. um so it's like i think there's some commentary on that um i don't think it's the big central thing well, maybe it is. I don't know what the director's intention was, but you see that you see Thomas in this very kind of masculine, masculine kind of role where he's also like farting and being like very kind of gross, like a <laughs> yeah. man, like kind of gross. He just has no regard for anything. Like he's like pissing in a bowl, kicking it in under, like leaving his shit for the the young guy to throw out. It was like um, Robert Hodge and I's uh, dorm room. He's just expecting to be cleaned up after. Yeah. So it like. That's that. And beyond that, they're also watching each other masturbate a lot, which is very So is that that one scene? Is that what that was when he was like changing the shingles on the roof and he was like staring through the hole and it was like really eerie music? Because he was on his, like he was laying on the bed. Humping. Well, it just looked like, I don't know, because he was like laying on his front and like he. That'll mess your dick up, by the way. It would what? If you masturbate that way, unless you're dick up. I had a roommate whose boyfriend messes up. Masturbate laying on your if you, front? If how you would like, you even masturbate? Yeah, how like would that? you do that? He was humping his hand. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, nobody does that. Yeah, I've never heard <laughs> oh, yeah, of that. Yeah, because it messes your dick <laughs> up. But anyway. That's what flash, flesh lights are for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that he was seeing um, him through the, well, he was through the roof, jerking himself off and weird gross way and then yeah there's tons of masturbation scenes well i think he was literally having sex with the light i don't think he was like masturbating i think he was in like his octopus form and he was like fucking the light okay so i wanted okay so i'm glad that you brought that up so what do you guys take those kind of scenes as because it looked like early on and this is before we get anything of this like the squid or octopus but it looks like defoe is like naked and he's going like that and you can see it if you watch it again i'm gonna watch this again it like the light is going around and around like lighthouses do and you can see like his His body on the shed behind him yeah Yeah, you see it like twice embracing it yeah Yeah, man um oh yeah and then at the end like how can you deny the the scene where robert pattinson the power has shifted to him he has the power and he is the alpha at this point and he 
tells him to get down on the ground mm-hmm. and walks him around like a dog. You don't see what he does in the lighthouse before they're coming out. There's a cut mm-hmm. there. So like you could interpret that something Sexual. rapey could have happened yeah. um, in that in that scene. So it's I wanted to touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I wanted to touch like, he was um, like oh, I bet he made him turn back into the mermaid. It's like a fuck him again. <laughs> Dude, that'd be killer. I mean, that's what I would do. You know what I'm saying? Um, so like, I wanted to talk about, yes, like, um, it's toxic masculinity too, but toxic masculinity can also be like, it, and this is what I saw in it is like the worker jobs, like these, uh, classic, like like a logger or like, um, like a, like, you know, unloading the trucks like we used to do Mm -hmm. or something. It's like, yes, yes. Like these, um, even like on a football team or the army or something like that, like it's these, this guy and he's like absolutely torturing this fucking new guy, like picking him apart piece by piece, taking him apart, like trying to rebuild him in his own way. And then the new guy, like, you know, of course sees little glitches in the way that he does things and shit. And like towards the end, we see obviously, uh, Robert Pattinson's character, Thomas is like this motherfucker, like can be taken down kind of thing. So I wanted to throw that out there as well as it's like, and we, we do see this, unfortunately, like in a lot of, like I said, like the eat your own thing, like uh, Rose talks about like the nurses kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's like, we need to be right and beat them down and then get them to, used to the way that we do things kind of thing, mm-hmm. which that's very much present in this movie and it backfires on fucking Squid mm-hmm. Man or whatever the fuck he is. But yeah, so I want to know, do you guys think that, and we, we brought up the light. I want to know what you guys think that symbolizes and is there something supernatural, whatever, going on in this film? Or is it just, like, madness? I don't think that the light, what it symbolizes, is important. Mm-hmm. I think all we have to know is that it's just there and it's what is, like, giving them that obsessive, um, like, interesting urge to, like, figure out what it is. Like, it's, like, Ooh. almost I controlling them. And disagree. so I think... Um, I think what it represents isn't important. Um, I think it's something like higher power. And so that's why it ultimately is what leads to Pattinson's death um, because he's just a mortal and he can't like, he can't touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think that Defoe is able to like, he's the only one that's able to like tend to the Let light. Let me try because... to change your mind Okay. about the importance of the light. Okay. This is how I saw it at the end. Rob Pattinson's character finally has killed the guy and he's gotten up to the lighthouse or into the light and he just is screaming why did into he, the dude, light. Why did he put that oil on his face too? And how they just kept drinking that, that was oil weird. was disgusting. Oh, so that, um, so, <laughs> that you can, awesome. so you can get drunk off of like kerosene like that or like back well, in the day people like Cairo kind of was, was like a brand ethanol. of like lighter, yeah. like it's like these like lighter fluid basically mm-hmm. like they would drink it like poor people would run out of money and couldn't get booze prohibition whatever and they would drink that so that was like they ran out of their rations and that's why they're drinking that and they put mm-hmm. something in it to try to make it taste a little less horrible but um anyway so he's like screaming into the light and i by the way thought the audio effect that they chose for that scene was also really very great. very trippy and um, yeah it was really uh chilling yeah, yeah and so i mean you get to this prometheus thing of him like stealing the light there's something too powerful for him to to handle but light traditionally when you think of symbolism 
it symbolizes enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So like to me, he's transcending in this moment. He is seeing and getting this knowledge that he like can't almost handle because of his, like he's knowing it and understanding everything right in this Mm -hmm. moment. Um, And he saw everything and understood and then started laughing hysterically, which you can think back to Donnie Darko, which you were on. mm -hmm. And it's that same thing. So I think that's what this light is meant to represent but if you also think of how they talk about the light or especially willem dafoe's character talks about the light he talks about it in this possessive way um and he calls it she it. yeah mm-hmm. he call, he calls it she it's but it's um it she's a better wife than any wife could ever be like so he has like he sees this as this thing this female presence to possess mm-hmm. um and that is for him and so there's also, I think, something definitely kind of goes symbolic along there. Oh yeah, and it kind of goes along with like the classic, um, like the H.P. Lovecraft. And that, uh, listeners of this show will know like what I say when I say uh, cosmic horror. They'll know what that means. It's like it's like this horror from elsewhere and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of those themes come from H.P. Lovecraft, and they were brought to us by several other big time authors. Um, the director of this film. Robert Eggers brings up a few like Arthur uh, Macon and Algernon Blackwood, you know, this cosmic horror and the fact that uh, Robert Pattinson in that moment, like saw so much in his brain as a human being, like couldn't comprehend it. So he went mad kind of thing. Like that's very HP Lovecraft. You know what I mean? Like the, he has all these characters that like end up finding out what the fuck is uh, going on. And then they just go insane. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. there's a reason that mortal humans aren't given access to that. And this goes mm-hmm. to your Proteus thing now that I'm thinking about it. You said he's like kind of a god or demigod or something. Yeah, he's, um, he should be. I'm pretty sure he's a full-fledged wh- god. Yeah, which is why he was telling him, no, you can't handle this. Mm-hmm. You know? He's Because he's like, I, why can't I do it? Like, I should be ready now. Um, like, according to, like, the rule book, like, it's time for me to, like, be able to man the light. And he was like, no. And he says several times, Willem Dafoe's character says several times, like, ain't, there ain't no rule book but my rule book. Right. Because um, he's like the so god maybe, of this domain. Maybe you know? he's trying to turn um, Pattinson into a god as well. Because if you're a god, like in Greco history, you have that ability to turn anyone yeah. into a god. So maybe he was like trying to breed him, mm-hmm. like grooming him for that. Yeah. And yeah. maybe he tests every second that comes in. Yeah, and it's going to take. good it, enough. Yeah, like he, he makes them out <laughs> yeah. to be crazy and they die because it's just too harsh to handle out here. He wasn't man enough. And then like maybe he maybe Willem Dafoe's character did know if if he's a separate character, which we'll get into. I want to ask you guys about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe he's just like he knows that when the right one comes, that's the one that will kill him and take him out. Yeah, there's another take on this film. Like you could uh, see like the lighthouse in general as this like being as this uh like a character yeah like as this uh the light in itself like just like consuming these people like these keepers of the lighthouse and stuff and using them up and for new people to go in there and they get used up and they're protectors almost like the Colts and the uh cthulhu stuff from hp lovecraft Mm -hmm. but um you had a question for us yes i have a question for our esteemed guest jack and for you um so what you know, at the end of it, we've talked about a little for quite a while now, actually, before we get into like favorite scenes, which I definitely want to talk about. But like, what is your take? It, oh, are these actually yeah. happening? Is this <laughs> two guys, two separate men? Or is it one man on that island manning that lighthouse by himself? 
who goes mad and his psyche is almost split. What do you think? I went back and forth the whole movie, and, dude, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's really tough for me to say. Um, usually I feel pretty strongly one way or another on kind of movies like this. But I think I'm leaning more towards it actually being two people here on this island. And even though they have that line where he's like, well, maybe I'm a figment of your imagination. This whole island is a figment of your imagination. How long have we been here? 15 weeks or two days? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's like really messing with his mind. You're messing with the viewer's mind because like, you know, where is the time flow in this? And mm-hmm. I think the symbolic punching of the clock, um, mm-hmm. because he doesn't like, he knows that it doesn't matter anyway. Like I think he, they're in some sort of, I don't know. I like hesitate to say like another like purgatory thing or like some sort of like loop where like the same thing keeps happening with maybe different people because of the island or the lighthouse or something. Um, but I'm leaning more towards it actually being two characters and Defoe being this lighthouse guy that claims that he was a sailor like all these years, but actually wasn't, has just been doing this for his whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm leaning more towards that because that's what was literally said by Pattinson or like what he suspects. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of thinking that like maybe the light or something was given him some sort of visions or something because he kept having, he like figured out how the old guy like disappeared or I mean, it could have been a hallucination if you're going to go with that aspect of it. But I think it was more of um, like the light trying to like maybe show him uh, what was happening here. So do you think the sirens were real and shit? Like, do you think they actually existed? Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that There's scene. There's no that wrong answer. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that scene where he, like, sees the body in the water. Also, I've got a question for you guys. Yeah. Is that body that they saw in the water and, um, like, the blonde guy, is that supposed to be... That was his foreman that he killed or let die. That was... So the, head, the his old boss, his old boss, the yeah. Winslow, that, yeah, from Winslow. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what I figured. That's what I thought. But the head was uh, the, the old, yeah, the old uh, wiki. That he, guy. Yeah, the, the head he finds in the trap. Mm-hmm. That's the wiki. Was that's the old wiki. The wiki. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the toe headed blonde. When I was watching one. it, I thought that the uh, like bleach blonde haired guy. I thought that was supposed to be the old wiki. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes it interesting that he keeps seeing him pop up here because I think. With the logs and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting. So there's got to be something um, major, significant about when he spills the beans. Because mm. he's like, why did you have to spill the beans? Like, I feel like maybe he, Defoe felt like the situation was salvageable after he killed the seagull to be able to, like, change the winds back or something. But, like, I felt like he repeated in a super ominous, like, Spill echoing voice. like um, Yeah, and it was, like, like coming, like, out of the walls yeah. and shit. Well, so he was felt... maybe lying to himself, and he finally... Oh, Travis, what do you think? Um, I think I'm similar to Jack. Like, I think that... I think there are two people, but I think that... And this is going to be, like, weird. I, I need to re- I need to watch it, like, two or three more times. Yeah, I need to watch it about 15 more times. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Defoe's character... Like, and Jack kind of touched on this. I think that's, like, almost his own world. Or, like, like think about, like, the Twilight Zone. I, I brought that up, like, earlier. Like, I think this has a lot in common with, like, one of those. It's, like, an overlong episode of the Twilight Zone. 
But. And I think where you're about to go is something that I meant to say when I was talking about, um, because Pattinson says, like, you're just like this, like, phony person that, uh-huh. like, is trying to act like this role of being this. And he's like, well, he's like a, basically a god on this island. Like, he can just do whatever he wants and he tells people what to do. And so, like, that's, like, why he kind of makes it. Mm-hmm how it is, I guess, or treats people the way that he does is because he's, like, been here this whole time and he, like, feels like this god. It's almost like you could see this as, like, a Black Mirror type mm-hmm. episode, too. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. uh, for the newer listeners, you know, that aren't uh, familiar with Twilight Zone. But I think, like, Defoe is kind of like um, like the keeper of the lighthouse, and the lighthouse is like this uh, this being, almost, that consumes. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of... I think that's Defoe's, like... Yeah, kind of. I thought... It reminded yeah. me a lot of The Shining when I was watching it, and I was going to ask you guys if mm. you felt the same way. Yeah, I I noticed that, and then I also noticed, like, structurally, there's a little Session 9 kind of going on mm-hmm. with, like, the man having done something you don't know about yet, but you know there's something, and he goes mad, and then he starts killing people. Like, yeah, I don't know, but... And that, like, and it also, that harkens back to those classic M.R. James, like, ghost stories and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, again, like, this classic sense of horror. But, yeah, I think Defoe's kind of built this own world kind of thing. And I don't know what he's doing with Pattinson's character. Um, I don't uh, know. If like, what his motivations yeah, are. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that yet. Maybe it was just a money grab. Mm-hmm. It seems like it is a big, I mean, like yeah. Jack said, though, <laughs> like, it, it, it seems like they make a big deal, though. When he tells him, like when he spills the beans, yeah. when he tells him that he's like on the run and stuff, okay. it seems like that's a big deal. So you guys are on the same page of like, kind of, you think these are two separate guys with mm-hmm. some weird shit, supernatural, maybe not, I don't know. Um, there's something going on. So let me, I think I'm probably more with you guys too. Like, what's the story? What is this like actually happening? When I think, when I prefer what you guys have described, right? Mm-hmm. But for those listeners, I guess, who th- might think this way too, I also spent a lot of time thinking about like, okay, well, what if this is a man's psyche split and he is actually alone on that island? Mm-hmm. You could think of some things this way. I kind of wrote some stuff down. Um, but if you took it as it's two men in their relationship representing kind of two parts of the psyche, then their dynamic mirrors almost uncannily the previous working relationship that Rob Pattinson's like young Thomas mm-hmm. had when he was logging, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's almost, it, it's, it seems just so unlikely that he would come across a foreman who is almost the exact same way as the one that he killed. And it's giving him so much guilt or making him feel so much guilt and shame. And um, he is literally on the run. It seems purposeful. Um, and to me, it's like, well, this could be his mind and his guilty conscience punishing himself. Of course, both are named Thomas. I've mentioned that. And then they're both, they both killed a man and are hiding and lying about it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's also just like the chances of that also being so similar with these two characters just seems like, well, hmm, maybe these are two, it's his own psyche beating himself up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every time he gets close to showing himself kindness. So if you see these men as the same person, every time they come together in these like kind of homoerotic ex- homoerotic scenes or these like touching scenes where they're bonding and being nice to each other, those scenes almost always end very abruptly or even those moments end very abruptly with them like putting their fists up or attacking each other in some way. So it's like almost like every time he gets close to showing himself kindness, forgiving himself maybe a little for what he did, 
he immediately snaps back to the self-hatred. So you can see it as like this sort of more symbolic than mm-hmm. it is real. Mm-hmm. And it's his mind working out what he did and how he feels about himself that he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it's just he also you can see kind of see him hating these toxic parts and all, and all these things he's capable of, all these horrible things. So if you like... If young Thomas is like the primary personality or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, if he's the primary consciousness or whatever, like, and that's the what the body looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe the parts of him that are like so toxic and dangerous and evil and just mean, uh, he's turning that into a separate entity, being old Thomas, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that and old Thomas is like the bad part of him that he hates i don't know you could think of it that way if that's the way you like to go i think it can make a lot of sense there's like the whole gaslighting himself you could you if you really followed it down a lot of it does make sense i think oh yeah um and then you've got this perfect storm right the the storm is symbolized like just like right there in your face like he's got the guilty conscience the paranoia isolation lack of human warmth kindness touch sexual frustration like you name it like it is a ingredients for a perfect storm um that would drive you into madness and there's a physical actual storm happening Mm -hmm. as he's declining which is just very poetic i think done very well too um but you could take it that way lots of things to think about jack i want to get some of your favorite scenes oh did you have a point on that well you said something that reminded me of something that i was thinking during the movie and so maybe Pattinson's character, because there's like these similarities between him, his, this current boss and the previous boss. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like this um, like memento thing where he just like keeps moving from job to job mm-hmm. and his boss is always a horrible person. And he always ends up killing his boss and then taking the name of that boss mm-hmm. for whatever his next job is. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the John G. Like. For sure. Um, but as far as favorite scenes, I really love the scene where he was talking like when they're when they're drinking and he's given that huge speech oh, yeah. about like everything that's going to happen to him because he didn't say that his cooking was fantastic yeah. <laughs> and i it's going to sound messed up but i like the scene where pattinson was trying to jerk off using oh, the figurine yeah. and then you guys like keep seeing these different flashes like of him fucking the mermaid and then like yeah. his dead boss um and uh defoe killing the previous yeah. guy and so maybe like that's kind of what I was thinking is like those vision type things. Maybe those are coming from the light. I don't know. Those flashes were fucked up. Like yeah. when he was masturbating, it mm-hmm. was like all that shit was hitting you right at once. And mm-hmm. that mermaid laughing and shit. Oh yeah. And <laughs> like when the mermaid was screaming, just Ugh. like, and he like was walking away and dude, that was just gross. Which if you think like, that is a weird fucking scary ass tale. Like the idea of the siren singing and Lauren men out to yeah. sea. Like that mm-hmm. is so weird. <laughs> Uh, Kate, what about you? What are some of your favorite scenes? I can tell you a scene I hated. What scene Him whipping think? that seagull to death. Oh, I oh, love yeah. that. That was awesome. <laughs> I hated that. Those I was scenes. waiting for that to happen. <laughs> and yeah, you see it coming. Like, that seagull is oh, yeah. a fucking bitch. Like, and yeah. like, But I just hate. And I know it wasn't a real seagull. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's legal to do. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, that, that awesome. got me. I didn't really didn't like that. But I knew you guys would probably like it. No matter um, how much of an animal lover you are, though. Like, if you were put under stress like that guy and that fucking seagull was just like, ah, 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 
like right in your face. Yeah. <laughs> a part of everyone would grab that motherfucker and smash it. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd just like become desensitized to it. And Run that motherfucker it, over with a lawnmower is, is what I did. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so I think I loved... Um, I have so many scenes that I marked as like, I like this scene. I like this scene. Almost any one where they have a major conflict. I just really mm-hmm. appreciated like the, the, all the, the act scenes. Yeah. Were just so bizarre. The acting of like, this is before they were even getting drunk that in the early scenes where Thomas was old. Thomas was just so night and day with him where he would just be like, I really love the scene for instance, where he has told him to come in and look at the floor. Like you mm-hmm. didn't clean this floor. Look how dirty it is or whatever. And he's like, no, I swear I cleaned it and it just won't, it just looks like that, but it's clean. I promise. And the the scene where Willem Dafoe goes off, like he goes off the fucking deep end in those scenes and he just gets in his face and he's so much smaller, which mm-hmm. in real life, I don't know if these two men are that much smaller. Like there must've been a, a play of playing with their heights in this. Cause I think Willem Dafoe is like a formidable guy, but like he, they've made him oh, look like this much smaller, um, I know Pattinson's tall as fuck. Old bearded kind of guy. And he's just like up in his face. But Robert Pattinson's character is just looking down at him um, with this like hatred in his eyes, you know. And it's just anytime they had those dynamics as a a duo, as an acting duo, I think I really, really love those scenes. And then. So um, Defoe is 5'9", Pattinson is 6'1". Yeah, then they definitely had to. They definitely messed with their heights. a little bit, but and made Pattinson taller yeah. than him still. I think he's genuinely, obviously, taller. But I also love, really, really love the the feeling I got watching Willem Dafoe's character run at him with the axe outside, with that, with the stiff leg, oh, yeah. Yeah, that um, was and awesome. it just so manic. Uh, oh God, I loved that. I thought that looked really scary. Like, could you imagine someone running at you like that? That would be terrifying. Um, oh. And then, <laughs> and then another one I liked was um, when young Tom Thomas was like going off after finding the logbook and yeah. realizing like that he that was lying scene. on him and he was going to make him make it so like like basically ruin him make it so he didn't get his payday whatever and he's like calling him a liar he's calling him smelly and he's like you goddamn fats and like oh, yeah. i don't know and he's just like loses his shit on him finally and that's like the uh the trigger that sets all the the craziness kind of of the mm-hmm. end the very fast-paced chaos scenes where pattinson yeah. was going crazy oh yeah. oh yeah like even when he was like taking like the two pans of shit and like flung them over the edge <laughs> and he was just like ah! <laughs> god because well, the that. shit came back on him that, that would yeah. Oh, yeah. i would scream oh. <laughs> all right so what about my you, favorite scenes are anything to do with the mermaid not the sexual stuff but just like this stuff like this like oh, where, where she's, she's like, like scream, maniacally, screeching. yeah, it's like, oh, mm. uh, because he walks out there and he's like, you know, uh, like feeling on her and stuff. And she like gets up and like starts laughing and like screaming almost like, you know, like I said, like the, the stories of the siren where they lure him out there mm-hmm. and it's like, it's, you know, she tricks him and stuff like that. But that's another toxic thing, by the way, toxic the, male uh, thing that he see, he sees a naked woman on and he immediately starts feeling her boobs. Yeah, when she's uh, unconscious. Yeah, or I don't know yeah. about that. He didn't really. He kind of like went around. She is it. a beast too. So yeah, it's like, first, he didn't. First, he this made is sure the, to get the seaweed he out of her no, face. No, 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 no. Listen, and off this her is, throat. Listen, this is before he realized she had the the gills and the tail. Uh-huh. He immediately he sees he confirms it's a woman. I think he, he knows saw she's the unconscious. The tail and got turned on. He gropes Probably. her tits. But 
If oh, you, he absolutely gropes it. Yeah. If you think about the mythology, though, it's like she's luring him, though. So it's almost right. like a vampire thing. Yeah, any of that surreal shit, scary as fuck. Like, when you see that light... And mermaids in, um, like, Greek times were not, like, a good thing. Like, oh, fuck it, no. They were, like, a horrible uh, representation. Or, like, a bad omen, I think. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and then that, like, when you see... When Pattinson, like, sneaks up to the light, and you see that, like big tentacle uh-huh. kind of go across it oh oh yeah and like you think it's semen coming down because he's the, like he's jerking mm-hmm. off up there but it's like you it ooze, could be seen like as slime. like ooze and slime yeah mm-hmm. yeah like a big monster but he ab- absolutely is doing something sexual up there mm-hmm. you can hear him like yeah you're right like, maybe thomas is just like actually a big octopus monster well, and that's what i mean I think, <laughs> I think he's the octopus monster and i think he's the mermaid because he switches to the mermaid when he's keep when he's getting you know punched what? by him uh-huh you're onto something. Yeah, okay. and, and you he, said that. like the god is a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, and um, yeah. There's just a bunch of like luring in this film and like <gasps> sexual. Maybe you remember the scene Uh-oh. at the beginning where um, it's the big he, enchilada here, where he like is yelling at the seal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been Defoe. Ooh. Yep. Because he asked him later. He was like, after after he tells him that the previous wiki went crazy, he's like. I saw you yelling or trying to fight a seagull earlier and then mm-hmm. tells him not to mess with it or something. So it could be nothing, but it's, it's a, yeah. The, no, I think that's a good point. Seabirds are the, have the souls of sailors who died, met their maker. And, and it makes sense that he's like so obsessed with his sailors. If he is, uh, the man of the sea. yeah. And you know what, whether or not he was, you know, shapeshifted into that seagull, which would follow hard to say, but I think, at the very least, you're meant to see that seagull annoying the shit out of him till he snaps mm-hmm. as like a very clear parallel to Thomas annoying the shit out of him until he snaps. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah. That's a good point. All right. So I think we fucking tackled the lighthouse. Um, I mean, it was a fun one to tackle. Yeah. I am not uh, ready to put in my time in a lighthouse anytime soon, by the way. <laughs> Um, so Jack, with that, I want to get your final thoughts on the lighthouse and your ratings out of five. Really like the movie. I'm happy that you recommended it to me. Um, like I said before, it made me nervous walking into it because I'm usually really critical of horror movies, um, and I think they're hard to do, like right, like this one. Like I feel like this was a really well done horror movie, like Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to check out The Witch. Oh yeah. So I would probably give the. Are you doing decimals? Uh yeah, you can. Whatever. I always I okay. I'm always a chicken shit, so I'm always like, uh between a four and a four and a yeah, half. Yeah, he's been giving ranges recently, which I'm <laughs> yeah. not here for. Um, I would say as far as horror movie goes, I would probably give it about a four point five to a four point six. Right. I really enjoyed it and it's definitely like like I said earlier, I was captivated the entire time, which is something that I really look for in a movie. Um, and it made me think about it a lot, like what was actually going down in this. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I can talk about for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Like we could probably keep going with this for like another 30 minutes or another hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. It's, I'm going to have to revisit it several times. Like next podcast that I come on to, I'll probably have to watch it again about mm-hmm. eight times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'll have a lighthouse tattooed on him next time he's in. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, what about you? Um, All right. So you, if you listen, then you know my criteria. But if you're just listening to this episode, I'll tell you what what gets a five in my book. And I think this one gets a five for me. Um, And it's like not just being thoroughly entertained, um, but this one's a thinker. There's a lot to like 
like Jack said, you could talk about it for hours. Um, I think that that is a sign of a good piece of art. It's rewatchable to me because I'm so curious about other things now that I kind of know the, you know, what happens A to Z in the film. Like now I can go back and look for subtle hints or imagery that I might have missed because I was overwhelmed by what I was seeing. Like it's very, I think, going to be rewatchable for me. And rewatchable is like the key thing to be a five and not a four. And then um, I would recommend this to a lot of people. There's people I don't think who could handle some of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for like if I'm ever hanging out with friends who are kind of film buffs or they really like to, you know, have movie nights or whatever, this is one I'd be like, hey, if you haven't seen this, like and you want something that will get you guys talking and thinking about um, the movie and it's not just like oh that was a cool superhero film they won um yeah, <laughs> the, the end, fucking marvel it's, shit that it's not just out. that listen i i like i like to watch those kinds of things too every once in a while but mm-hmm. like this is one that if i recommend it i know that i'm gonna have something to like talk to that person about once they watch it and they're gonna probably have a different opinion than me I have um, which i love similar criteria to you like, yeah. i think replayability is a huge aspect and like any movie mm-hmm. tv show or music like mm-hmm. if you can't revisit it again and like enjoy it again like as much as the first time then it kind of hurts your rating a little bit in my opinion yeah hereditary gets a five for me like these yeah. kinds of films i i really enjoy totally agree and there's something to be said about like uh we mentioned jump scares earlier like jump scares if you watch it a second time you know it's coming and shit imagery though however sticks in your head right. so like that that imagery of all this fucked up stuff that he's seeing that that fucking tentacle you know the the mermaid laughing like all these fucked up scenes in this movie are like stuck in your head and you're just like thinking about them and they're even like they're sometimes they're even scarier their second time that you watch it so yeah this is like a four and a half out of five to me um i really really love this movie i think Robert Eggers just hit two out of the park and he has like this distinct and unique style that I don't think a lot of directors have right mm-hmm. now in horror. There are some, um, besides like, like Ari Aster even has his own style, you know, but I just love that we're in a spot in horror where we're getting original voices, you know, and making movies like no one else is making doing something movie. creative, doing something new. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no one else is Innovators. making this fucking movie, but yeah. So that is our episode on the lighthouse um i do have a book recommendation this week i wanted to bring that back because i know uh i've heard from several listeners that they're like what the fuck no book review or no book you know recommendation um so this is the ceremonies by ted klein for graduate student jeremy fears uh citified cynical Yet prone to daydreams, summer is the time to shed a few pounds and finally get some reading done for a course on gothic literature. He's picked just the right place, the small secluded village of Gilead, Gilead, Gilead? Gilead, New Jersey, only 90 minutes from Manhattan, but with its unique antique customs and clannish traditions, that sounds scary, (laughs) seemingly centuries away for farmers Sar and Deborah Parath, young members of Gilad's Gilead's <laughs> fuck Gilead's fundamentalist community, the summer threatens a conflict between their passionate natures and the stern dictates of their faith. For Sar's widowed mother, gifted with second sight, it promises the frightful awakening she's dreaded all of her life. And for aspiring dancer Carol Conklin, a naive country girl struggling to survive in the city, it brings not only the first blush of romance but a lucky job with kindly looking old man known as Mr. Rosebottom. 
He's evil, guaranteed. Oh yeah, but Rosie, <laughs> but Rosie, as he calls himself, bears a more sinister name, the Old One, and a far more terrifying secret. Though Called the signs it. are all about them, he alone knows the invisible design that rule that rules these people's lives as they dance unwittingly toward doom. For in the heat of summer, an ancient corruption is stirring. An evil rooted not far from the Paroth farm, yet reaching to the city and beyond. So I'm gonna. It, it says the time has come. <laughs> this is a fucking super long synopsis. <laughs> the time has come for the ceremonies, the monstrous rites that will unleash on the despised creation an age-old promise of apocalypse. So there you go. That sounds a, intriguing. A big long synopsis for the classic novel, The Ceremonies, the '80s novel by Ted Klein. So yeah. Book recommendation back, Jack. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, it was thank an you awesome for having discussion. me. Yeah, um, I better be fucking coming on your podcast. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and one of my buddies are starting up a podcast. We haven't put anything like really out to the public yet, but we've mm-hmm. tested some stuff, made an intro and whatnot. So I definitely am going to want to have you guys come on for right. an episode. We'll cool. talk about. We do the prestige on there or something. Yeah, I, I'll honestly. Be down. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be down for that. I really want to talk about like movies and TV shows and like music and books mm-hmm. and stuff. And Jack kind of wants to talk about like drugs and like, <laughs> other f shit. But oh yeah. So are you willing to reveal the name, or do you want to just talk? about Oh yeah. The concept? Um, when we release it, it's gonna be called Entropy. We're doing it as like a kind of random topic format. So that's where the entropy comes from. Never mm-hmm. know what we're gonna be talking about until whatever guest we have on tells us. That sounds fucking cool, so man. So I can come on and talk about the Tickle documentary and the tickling community. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched that recently and it freaked me out and I was telling the girls. But anyway, we, that's, a, that's, that's another episode. That's scarier than fucking anything that we've <laughs> talked about tonight. Um, yeah. So you can find us. Oh, look for look out for Jack's podcast. Um, you can find us at Horrifying My Friends on Facebook and Instagram and at Horrifying MF on Twitter. Uh, also check out my second podcast, The Guillotine Press. If you're into metal, then you know where to go. You go to The Guillotine, The Guillotine Press, and check out us bullshitting and ribbing each other and making fun of each other's guilty pleasures. But if that's kind of <laughs> your thing, then check that out as well. Well, and you guys do some cool stuff with, like, you kind of pick two albums and battle mm-hmm. it out like which one's better for whatever I would reason have a lot of fun yeah. doing stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah the guillotine press i don't even like metal and i like listening to these guys they're very fun so mm-hmm. listen to it but that is all for this week till next time bye